Word. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and verse 32. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. May the words in my mouth and meditations in my heart be acceptable in my sight, O Lord God. You are my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. We've been talking a little bit about church at the last couple of sermons, and today is no different. I'm going to share a little bit more about what it is, what church up is. We learned last week it is a verb. It is something you do. It's also not commonly used. We have an opportunity to make it a household word. If you're on social media and you say anything about the church, use hashtag church up. And that will do that. We're going to put that verb to use today in Milburn. If you love your church, Jesus or Milburn, now is the time to show it, to make it known, and be aware that this today is a day that could be a transformative day in the life of our church. Now, I want to share something with you. That during the Vision Sunday, I talked about how the church is at a very serious point in its growth and in its life. Because we are one or two tithers, faithful tithers away from being in serious trouble. So, what I'm trying to share with you today is that we need to move beyond that place to a place where God is in the growth mode and blessing mode of the church so we don't have to think about that. Now, I want to share with you that all of what I'm going to talk about today I've shared in different formats in different locations but never like this. This phrase rock has been understood as relationships occupy Christ's kingdom. Today, I've changed the word Christ to children. It's the same dynamic. Jesus is God's Son. It just was easier to put in the the acrostic for you as children so you understand it's talking about family. And we'll get to that. But I want to share something with you that somebody said, that Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. I, I share that with you. It is a relationship. Everything that a church does or a believer does is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation for it. There's no other way to express that. And to live that relationship out is to be the church of Jesus Christ, to be His body. However, many people have understood that uh, Christianity is a religion, a way of doing things that's different rather than a way of being. Because we are to be love embodied in all that we do. The Scripture tells us many different ways to embody love. And one of the greatest for me that God put on my heart this week was a phrase that Paul said, pray without ceasing. How many of us have had conversations with people where prayer was not a part of that conversation? 
I promise you in my life, and I guarantee you in yours as well, that you would not have said some of the things you said in your life had you been doing it and abating it in prayer while you said it. You would have said something different. I promise you. And I would have too. And here's what God put on my heart. That instead of praying without ceasing, in many moments I ceased without praying. This past week, I saw an old friend at McDonald's who was retired last month and moving to Ohio to be with, near his children. Matter of fact, he's going to move in, he and his wife, with them until they find a place. And they're moving out of their home by the end of this month. So it was kind of a quick turnaround. And they've got to get their home ready to sell and move everything. And kind of a stressful thing. We were talking about it. And I said, I'm going to miss you all. And thank you for being a friend over the years. And I went into the line and refilled my drink. And I thought that was the end of it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord said, you didn't pray for him. And I said, well, I usually don't. I just you know, was having a conversation. And that's when you cease a conversation without praying. Because I wasn't praying without ceasing. So I went and filled my drink up with water and went over to uh, their table and I said, you know, I was wondering if I could pray with you. And both he and his wife said, would you please? We held hands and I prayed there for God's favor, protection, uh, success on the, selling their home and finding a new place, the transition being a good one for them. And then I finished and you'd think maybe that prayer was for them, but I don't think it was. I think it was for me. Because when I finished, I had tears in my eyes. And it wasn't because I prayed for them. It's because of all the times I didn't. Of all the times when I could have prayed with someone and I did not. I've said many times, I'll pray for you, and I don't just stop, drop, and do it right there. Because prayer is fundamental in the life of a believer and we stop doing it rather than continuing to do it all day. Someone once said it like this, May my day be a prayer unto you, O Lord. Then my day begins with, Dear Lord, and ends with an Amen. Relationships are crucial. And the first one is with Jesus Christ. If we're not talking to Him and communicating with Him in prayer, we're losing our life source and our power supply. And we're beginning to become drifting in our faith. And that's, that's dangerous. But let me tell you something. Isaiah 53 tells us in verse 6, we've all gone astray. None of us have gotten it right. Now, I, I, I find two things in that. I find comfort in knowing, okay, I'm not the only one who does that. We all do. But I also take, um, shall we say, conviction and confliction because I don't want to go astray and I don't want to see others who believe in Jesus go astray and set bad examples as a believer. But none of us have done what we should. We don't know how to do it. And there's a reason for that. It's because we leave the shepherd. And if we leave the shepherd, we become disobedient or we don't have our power supply. We don't have our source of strength and we do it on our own strength. If we say, God, I can't do this, that's not a confession of helplessness. It's a prayer for God saying, you do it through me. It should be. I don't know how. God, teach me is the next phrase. I'm scared. God, encourage me. Where's the rest of our sentences? And we say, I have anxiety, but God, you are my hope and peace and you calm the anxious heart. I should cast all my fears and anxieties on you for you care for me. First Peter 5, 6. 
God, I feel overwhelmed. The enemy is like a lion, roaring, prowling, seeking someone to devour. But God is ever-present help and comfort in time of trouble. We always stop at the beginning of the sentence and don't finish with what the prayer tells us that God is there, that God is with us, that God is with me, that He's with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. But all of us have walked away in some form or another in our relationship with Him, either short-term or long-term, or for in moments. And do you think, well, that, 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 I kind of see how that is understandable, but how does that apply? Let me share it like this. How many conversations have you had with people where you're going, I just want to get away from them? I don't want to be with them. I don't want them around me. I don't want them near me. Or have you seen something that you were critical about in someone else? And, and here's how this works. If you see something that someone that you want to criticize for, it's God showing you that that's the person you need to help. We say, well, you know, they don't talk right, or they don't act right, or they don't whatever dress right, or, or smell right. That's God showing you the person you need to love, that you need to begin to pray for them. Now, here's what we don't do. You know, it seems like you're having trouble because you don't know how to talk right or act right. Can I help you? Can I pray with you? Can I encourage you? What can I do to be a, a friend to you? We don't do that. Why? Because we're basing our life on our own agenda rather than the agenda of Jesus Christ which says love one another. And that's bottom line. Love one another as He has loved you. He loved you when you were not righteous or holy. He loved you when you were broken, scarred, battered, and unwanted and unuseful for the kingdom. And that's the point that He's making to us in our life with Him. Is that if we do not bring forth our life as an attitude of prayer, we won't pray with people. We won't even think about it. We'll just say, you know, you just need to leave. Rather than say, can I pray with you? You look like you're having a tough time. There's a reason why God wants us to do that, I believe. And it's the R in rock. Relationships. Relationships in the faith are crucial. You don't have them, you don't have faith. Because the church is a community of believers bound by Jesus Christ for His work. And in those relationships, they know different people than you know. Did you know that? You don't know everybody I know, and I don't know everybody you know. And it's true for every person in this world. You don't have the exact same friends or acquaintances. It just works that way. So if you don't know who someone knows, you don't know their circle of influence. And their circle of influence could be powerful. It could be something where they can make great changes in this world if they influence in the right way. If you bless somebody, they tell somebody. If you hurt one, they tell many. That's how it works. In the restaurant business, we learned this. When someone has a good experience at a restaurant, they tell up to 10 people. If they have a bad experience, they tell over 60. And sometimes over 600. They just keep saying, don't go there to everybody who brings that place up. Now, if that's true for restaurants, it would be true for a church. It would be true for a ministry. If it's a good experience, they'll tell a couple of people. If they've had a bad one, 
They're going to tell a lot. It's just how it works. And the way they have a bad experience is, is if people haven't tried to love them where they are and develop a relationship. And it can be hard because we're not used to that. We don't know how. But God doesn't say, don't stay the same. He says, grow. So we have to kindle relationships like we will be invited to their next level of friends. So I want to get to know you, even if you make me uncomfortable, because I want to know who you know. Because I'm not just talking to one, I'm talking to all those 60 people that they know that I don't. They have more than that in their circle of influence, but those are the ones that you want to know that they know. And so you're talking to more than one person there. And so don't lose sight when you're sharing with people the bigger picture. And so when you're praying, you're not only praying for them saying, God, help me bless this person with your grace and your mercy, but God, give me inroads into their family and their friends so I can find a way for you to bless them too. God, help me open doors, not close them. Relationships are very important. So if you ever decide you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ and you want to grow and witness, the first thing you talk to someone about is the relationships that they have with people. Like, who are your friends? Who do you hang out with? Uh, where do you go during the day? You know, and What kind of people do you associate with? If, and it's a very safe conversation to ask someone that. It's not offensive to say, so who, you, who do you know that we might know in common? It's a very simple opening to breaking the door and the ice on a friendship or a relationship. Who do you know? Are you from here? Are they from here? Do you work at similar places? Things like that. And so you begin to understand their influence in the world around them. Because I promise you, the greatest of persons and the least of persons all have influence. And so, relationship. Do not forget when you are sharing Jesus Christ or that you want to, you don't start with Jesus. You start with who they know and who their relationships are in their daily life. Who to spend time with. And the second thing we begin to talk about after that, if they've opened the door and begun to be comfortable talking about that, and you are, is occupation. And that doesn't mean job. It means what they do that occupies their time. It could be work. Some people work eight to faint every day or even longer. Some don't work though. So that's kind of an offensive question if you approach someone and say, what kind of work do you do? They're going to, well, you know, stuff. And then all of a sudden it shuts down the conversation. So they'll say, so what do you do with your time? How do you spend your time most of the time? What do you enjoy doing? What, what occupies your mind? What do you think about? You're looking for hobbies, friends that they might spend time with. They might play video games. And you might say, I don't know anything about video games, but you can say, oh, wow, I'd like to know more about that because I don't know much. It gets you talking about them and them talking about them. And they believe you're interested in them because you're investing time in them. Not in your agenda, but getting to know someone and love them. Let me tell you, every person has something that they like. Something. Don't know what it is. It could be uh, walking in the woods. 
It could be uh, scavenging for aluminum cans along the side of the road, or whatever it could be. They're, whatever they spend their time doing, there's something that they do. For some people, it's staying at home because they can't go anywhere. For some, it's going out and seeing the scenery. You never know until you find out. But let me tell you something. What they do and what they're interested in is a gold mine. Because they are passionate about it. And they do it a lot. So they would be an expert in that. And tapping that as a resource for the kingdom of God is what they could do if they were a part of the kingdom of God. It's their gift. Some people gab on the phone all day. Guess what? That's the kind of people we need to work the phones to get the news out about stuff. And they just sit there and go, I'm just doing Jesus' work, calling everybody and telling them about what the church is doing. Some people are good like that. I'm not so good like that. I like to talk on the phone, but I don't like to talk on the phone for a long, long time. I just like to get the business done and move on. That's not me. But let me tell you something. There's a gifting you have for the kingdom of God. Using it for His kingdom opens up a bigger purpose for it. And so, after you hear theirs, it might be something you have in common. And then you have common ground. It might be stamp collecting, coin collecting, treasure hunting with metal detectors. A lot of people like to do that. It could be drone flying. It doesn't matter what it is. You're just interested in knowing what it is and talking to them about it to see how passionate they are. And look at their eyes, how vibrant they are when they're into something they care about. This is what a believer should look like when they're talking about Jesus and their church and their faith and their witnessing. If you see it in them, you know when they're on fire for Jesus, the same passion will be there for that too. And if they can use their gifting for the kingdom, praise God. You might say, well, I don't know how that works. Well, we know as a church, we've seen Charlie who had a gift of time and had a desire to just clean up the back area and he just started doing it. He saw a need and did it. It was his gift. He couldn't do much, but he had manual labor. And Charlie became a blessing to this church and inspired us to do more. Charlie, a man that many in this world would look at him and write him off. But we love Charlie. And we have a relationship with Charlie. Do you see the difference? The world doesn't see him that way, but we do. And God sees him that way too. So that's Occupy. You're trying to figure out what occupies their time and how it's a gold mine for the kingdom. So don't overlook anything that they're passionate about. And the sea and rock is, it can be Christ or children, whatever helps you remember the word family. Family. You see, a family is what a lot of people struggle with or are blessed by. Their relationship with their family dictates how they see the world around them, whether it's a community of friendship or a community of hostility or the world is some place to avoid. Their family is often the place where that begins. But you want to know if they have family. Wouldn't you like to know if you're, someone's getting to know you to talk about your kids? Talk about your family and your hopes for your family? Don't you like to talk about your family? Don't you like to say, here, here, here let's try it this way. 
They always say, if you're going to ask about grandchildren, reserve 20 minutes. You're serious. And wait till they scroll through all the pictures showing you each one and comment how nice they look and how beautiful they are. Because in every grandparent mind, they are the best grandchildren in the world. And if you agree with them, they would definitely share more. And you see, just because they talk about their grandchildren doesn't mean that they don't have hopes for those grandchildren. Now think about this for a minute. If you have grandchildren of your own, you know what I'm talking about. I hope they have a community where they're safe, where they're supported, a school system that teaches them well, and friends that are healthy and not running the streets where they have good examples. Don't you think families really want that? And they want them to be safe and grow up in a non-threatening or violent environment? Safe from abuse and the craziness of this mad world? No, you can't keep them off the internet, I'm sorry. We want to, to keep them safe from that mess, but they're going to get there sooner or later. But you want them to do so safely. And don't we have dreams for their life? Boy, they're going to grow up and they're going to be a... A doctor. Here's what uh, one of my favorite jokes is about this uh, Jewish lady who's had a, a grandchild. And says, "I want to introduce you to my grandchild here, three months old, Doctor Carson. <laughs> Doctor Carson is only three months old because there's a dream placed on every relationship that you have, or expectations of how that's supposed to be lived out." and how you are supposed to respond in those relationships. It doesn't matter if it's family, friends, or people you don't know, or people you don't trust. You have an expectation of how that's going to play out. The expectations will change a little when you pray as you interact. So you want to know when you're talking to them about their family, what's significant to them in regards to their family. What's important? Is it having... um, time together? Is it the greatest struggle they have? Is it because this world is so busy that they have become detached from one another? Or maybe the family has become so dysfunctional they don't even know each other anymore. But you want to find out what's important to them. Is it, is it making money? Is it leaving a legacy? You never know what is important to a family until you begin to talk to them about family dreams. And some people believe it or not, have never been asked what's most important to your family. They don't have any idea, some of them. Maybe loyalty is important. Maybe it's to have a joyful existence together. Maybe it's to overcome a hurt or they're grieving a lost loved one. But if you don't ask, you don't know what they're struggling with. Or maybe they've had a celebration, a a wedding, or uh, something else that has happened. And if you don't begin to talk about their family dynamic with them, you won't know their family. And here's what else you won't know. is how they feel about their family is how they're going to feel about this family, if they're a part of it. How they'll connect. If they're deeply in love with their family, they'll be deeply in love with Jesus in this one. But if they don't know how to love or give and receive love, then then we need to know how to love them to show them. We meet them where they are, not where they should be. How do they connect or disconnect with life and their family? Yep, their ideas of family come into play in a church family. Believe it or not, you'll probably respond to some folks in this church like you did your family of origin. 
That could be good and that could be bad. Just depends on which person in the family you're responding to. But I will say this if your family is a place of safety, trust, and love, you're more open to being loved by others. And if it's a place of unsafety, troubles, legal issues, detached families, broken homes, it's a little harder to be loved and receive love. Why is that important to us? Because we want to love people as they are, not as they should be. Because all of us have gone astray. Every one of us that we talk to has gone astray. And that's not a judgment, it's just a fact. It's okay for them to have gone astray. We just love them where they are and let them know God does too. That's how you establish a relationship. Once you have begun to, to talk about those things in a person's life, then you can talk about what they believe. I would say leave politics out of it. You're going to get a hot wire there. So don't mess with that. In terms of the life of a believer, you start talking about politics, you're going to turn someone off and you've lost them. So don't talk about politics. That's not what I mean by believe. I mean, what do they believe or not believe? Do they believe in God? Do they believe in Jesus? If they say, yes, I believe in Jesus, do they love Jesus? Do they go to church? Are they worshiping regularly? Do they want nothing? Or do they want something in their life to be a part of? Is love important for them to giving and receiving in terms of a community? Maybe you need to know if they've been hurt by God. A lot of people in this world blame God for their problems even if God didn't cause them. Even believers do that. Maybe they've been hurt by a church. And if you have the opportunity to say, what's been your experience with church? Have you been much? Is, is it ever, was it a positive experience or negative? And just give them opportunity to talk about what their experience is. You're not trying to fix it. You're just trying to learn. And love them where they are. They say, you know, I've been hurt by a church and I just can't stand it and say, you know, me too. I've been hurt before too. Lots of times in my life and I've had to take a time to learn to forgive. And maybe, maybe one day you can too. Or maybe they've been hurt by other believers. People who say they're Christian but don't act that way. Or say condescending things or look at them as less thans or judge them and they say, you know, people who go to church are all hypocrites. You know what I say? People who go to church are all sheep that have gone astray and trying to find a shepherd. We're looking for direction and peace and purpose and possibility and potential for God to open up our lives. We are not perfect. If we are perfect, we are Jesus. We are not perfect. We're not here to say we are better. We're here to say we need Jesus. And I need Him every moment. And if I forget that, I stop praying and I cease without praying. Maybe you need to ask them, do they pray? Do they pray to God? Do they believe enough? Or do they feel isolated in their faith? Or alone like they can't share it with anybody? Does their family believe like they do? Will they let you pray with them right there? Or for them later as a church body who will love them? 
It's a very, very simple question to ask. Can I pray with you? Will you let me pray with you? I have only had one occasion where someone said, no, what good is it going to do? The rest of the time they said, yes. And guess what? As believers, we're the first to say, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, there's one time I was at the hospital and I didn't pray with someone. And they were mad that the preacher didn't pray with them. He left without praying. And I thought they, they didn't want me there, so I left real quick. Guess what? What you tell yourself isn't what they're telling you. There isn't going to be very many people who are offended by you asking, can I pray with you? If they say no, say, can I pray for you? Or lift up a prayer need at the church for you. They may be more willing to do that, but I've only had one time where they said no. Once. If you don't ask, you never know. But you might think, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> well, good. Don't know how to pray. Just pray. God, whatever their need is, meet it. Thank you in Jesus' name for their presence in this visit and their friendship that we're starting. That's not a hard prayer. It's a basic prayer. But God didn't ask you to be real theological. He asked you to be loving. To love them with your prayer. I think you can do that. Now, I mentioned that we've all gone astray. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us how to get it back. I love this chapter, and at the same time, when I check off the list and I go, okay, got to work on that one. Okay, got to work on that one. There's a checklist in these verses, and they're very, very poignant. But the first thing he says is, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. To be a believer. To walk like one. To talk like one. To live like one. To walk worthy of that. You might say, what does it mean to walk worthy of being a believer? Walking worthy of being a believer simply means that you carry yourself in an attitude of prayer everywhere you go, knowing that Jesus Christ is with you, God is for you, and He's asked you to love. That's the worthiness of the calling. It doesn't mean that you're better. It just means you've been asked to love by Jesus Christ who lives in you. Two weeks from today, we're going to look at a passage called Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And I've always understood that He that's in me is Jesus and He that's in the world is Satan, but that's just not what that passage says. I've got an insight. I'll flesh it out for you in two weeks. And that's this. Greater is He that's in you is Jesus. He that's in the world is your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to do things for Jesus. But greater is He that's in you. And He's trying to get you to walk worthy of the calling of being a child of God. To live and act like one. The Bible has a bunch of things to do, but here is a whole list in Ephesians 4. And the first thing is in verse 2. To walk humbly, first of all, and to have long suffering, bearing, <laughs> I love that, bearing with one another in love. Jesus said that the disciples, when they were afraid in the storm, how long must I put up with you? Someone used to ask me when I would do something business wise uh, how much it was going to cost. I said, well, that depends on the putting up with your fee. If you annoy me, I'll have to charge you more because i got to put up with you. 
But that bearing with one another love, love says that I am going to walk with you in your situation and not demand you become different. Not even requested to love you as you are, to be your friend in relationship so that when we do talk, we talk as equals. It's one thing that's sometimes hard for us to understand is we are all one in Jesus Christ. But we are. So bearing with one another and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the unity of the Spirit, how do you do that? Verse 32. First thing he says is be kind to one another. If nothing else, be kind. Gentle in your words. Praying before you speak and as you do. Second thing he says is to be tender hearted. And that means compassionate. Until you walk a mile in their shoes, you can't say anything about the holes in their souls. You don't know what they've been through. There have been people who will not come to church because of the way believers have treated them. It takes years to get them to come. And one idle, bad phrase will send off another several years. It could be something silly or monotonous. And it's enough. Why? Because they're sensitive to being rejected. Maybe because of their family or the way the world treats them or how other churches have treated them or a pastor. It doesn't matter. A a gentle word turns away wrath. That's a proverb. It says, be an agent of forgiveness or forgiving one another. And being an agent of forgiveness is something we as a church need to do regularly. If we have an offense towards someone in our church or someone in our church here today has offended us, we need to go and say, listen, I'm sorry, I've been holding an offense against you. Please forgive me. Well, wait a minute. You don't think that's necessary? That it's okay to just let it slide? Scripture says, no, we forgive one another. Let me share something with you. I had an offense against someone not long ago, and I walked up to them and I said, you know, I've been holding this offense against you for a while, and I just want you to know I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you know what they said? I had no idea. And you're forgiven. It healed the relationship because they knew in that moment that if there was ever anything they did that offended me, I would come to them in love, not criticism, and I wouldn't take it somewhere else. Here's what is said in some of the best family-raising books that would work well in a church. Criticize privately. Praise publicly. If you need to be critical of someone, pull them aside in a one-on-one conversation. And if you can't do that, you don't have a relationship with them. So it's not your place. Do you understand that? If you're going to criticize something, don't let anybody else hear you say it. That will send an atmosphere throughout the church that says we're critical spirit and people aren't welcome here. And they will do that. So, we want to be an agent of forgiveness because it says it brings peace. And it does. It brings peace. And I share that with you because that's what verse 3 says. Be an agent in the bond of peace. And above all, 
to love. And then the sixth thing is to pray as you speak, as you live, and as you share. As I said, there's a lot of conversation I've had with people who've been a whole lot different had I been praying as I had them. I'm going to make it even more simple for you. My wife and I would have had a whole lot of different tone in our conversations had I said it in a word of prayer. Rather than on my own agenda or out of my own emotions, rather than saying, Honey, you know, you need to do this instead of saying, I love you. I'm praying and I want us to be the best we can be and here's something I want to share with you. I think there would be more receptivity there and my wife would agree. And so would the people you know who you speak with agree. And the reason I say this with you is because the church is built on what? What's his name? Peter. I'll build my church on what? The rock. Peter, the rock. You are the rock. I will build my church on that rock. And the rock is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah who has come into the world to redeem the souls of all, to bring forth reconciliation. And in First Second Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that we are now ambassadors with the task of reconciling the world back to God, to making friends out of the world for God. To making friends. It's your first task with anybody that you do not know is to make a friend. And it's true. And once you do that, what I've shared with you in this ROCK today is the rock which we can build the church on. Mm-hmm. This afternoon we're going to be a little more specific with some intro lines and how to start the conversation so you don't have to go, what do I say, what do I say? You just look down and go, oh, yeah. Why? Because we're taking baby steps. We got to. We've never done this together. Not me and y'all. You all may have done it before without me, before me, but never with me. And so we're going to do something very special and we're going to give them a tangible gift that may change their life. Tangible. How would you like to be a part of that? To transform this community for Jesus Christ means we're going to get a little uncomfortable today. But I promise you this community is worth it because there are people who sheep who have gone astray. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes we, we make plans and we go, well, this thing here is in the way of it. I'd really, you know, be a good idea for us to do this. And, you know, uh, but I got some other things on my mind I need to do. It's too hot or I got other plans. Heavenly Father, I'm not going to tell you what I need to do. I'm going to ask you through prayer what I need to do. For Heavenly Father, if I do any other way, it's me telling you how things are supposed to be rather than you transforming me into the likeness of your Son. So Heavenly Father, I ask that each person here would come before you in prayer and say, Lord, in this time of prayer, in this sweet moment of prayer, in this hour, in this time of worship in your house, a house of prayer, that we would come before you and say, Lord, what would you have me do? I make plans, Heavenly Father, but you direct my steps. Thus says the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, direct our steps. Each one of us. Today.
and always. And help us to pray. Amen.